It's good to see everyone. Uh, if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, Luke 17, we're going to begin our study in verse 20. Luke 17, verse 20. <clears throat> The, uh, the context, just to remind you before we uh, begin with prayer, the context, uh, just as a reminder, is, is about uh, discipleship and, the, and what a disciple of the kingdom is and the sacrifices that a disciple must make. He's been talking about that since chapter 13 especially. And uh, this whole last section that began in chapter 951 and we'll go to chapter 19, uh, is unique in the book of Luke among all the other uh, Gospels. Uh, Luke covers a period of time in the last six months or so of Jesus' life that is not covered in any of the other uh, writings. So this is a really significant uh, section. And, uh, and in this, a lot of emphasis on what it means to be a disciple, what has to be given up, what has to be followed. Now, as he's getting down into that and has talked clearly about some of those things. We come now to chapter 17 and verse 20, where the Pharisees now interject about the kingdom and ask him about the kingdom. So that's where we will uh, we'll start our study uh, this morning. Before we do, let's, let's begin with prayer. Our Father, thank you uh, so much for the blessings uh, that you have given us throughout this week, uh, the care that you've given for us, even during this uh, very cold weather. Thank you for being there and your presence. Uh, Father, we ask now that you'll help us to open our eyes to see the great things that are found in your word, and especially to help encourage us to be the kind of people that will uh, show your glory throughout the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's take a look at this uh, section. First, we'll just look at 20 through uh, 21, which is the setup for the rest of the chapter. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, it is here or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. All right, so in order to set this up and start, we have to start with the way the Pharisees, what the Pharisees would be thinking when they asked this question. So somebody tell me that. What would the Pharisees be thinking at this moment when they're asking this question? What's in their mind? Okay, restoration of David's kingdom. What's that look like in their minds? What are they thinking? Yeah, they're, they're going to be looking at it from this earthly standpoint of when, uh, when the kingdom... Can, can, you think, can you think of the details of how they might have uh, imagined that? Yeah. And then here's the Messiah, and he's going. And Jesus has been making this claim, hasn't he? He's, he's uh, they're they're obviously knowing that he's been making these claims, and uh, the emphasis on uh, he be, the kingdom of of God is near. He, that that gospel uh, uh, announcement has been made since John, and Jesus has been saying, "Repent, the kingdom of God is near." And so they 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 say, "Well, you know, you've been hanging around here for three years, 
And um, so when's this kingdom of God uh, going to come? And I imagine all the apostles are standing there too and going, yeah, that's a good question. I've been wondering the same thing. When are we going to do this? <laughs> when are we going to rise up and throw Rome in the ocean and, uh, uh, and all those Gentiles going to be driven out? And, you know, you can just imagine how that would be. And so Jesus' answer would have been uh, quite, quite stunning to them. It's not coming in a way that you're going to observe it. All right, so you're, you're teaching. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's interesting because he, Luke already wrote the Theophilus earlier in this book and said, some of you who are here will see that we'll be alive in the kingdom of He's telling them. <laughs> good, good point. Uh, you, you've, oh, we've already seen earlier, it, the kingdom of God is going to come before you die. Most of you die. It's going to be uh, here. And, and, and so you can imagine how, uh, how they be. And then, then he says, but uh, it's not going to come how, how you think it's uh, going to come. Um, so you, you're talking to somebody, if you're talking to somebody who's not a Christian, is there something you could say here that would just help them understand this, this text? What would, what would you want to say that helped them understand what Jesus just said? Other than, okay, it's not going to be this physical kingdom. Okay, well, okay, that's great. But what is it going to be? So how would you maybe explain that? What is it going to be? Okay, they're, they're, the kingdom is more of a relationship. In fact, when you think of, we've talked about this before, but when you think of the kingdom, what should we be thinking? What was Isaiah's explanation of the kingdom coming? You don't remember Isaiah, what's the explanation of the kingdom coming? Yeah, Scott. God's reign on earth. Yeah, this is God's reign. Here is the king coming. The king is now reigning. He is coming to deliver. Uh, here is the, the establishment of God's kingship. So when you think kingdom, think God's kingship, uh, God's rule. And now he is ruling, and he's ruling over the world. He's ruling on the earth. That he's ruling indicates the deliverance that he is now making, going through, and the crushing of the enemies. Any time, I know I say this a lot of times, but I want, I, repetition here is so important for because of how we grew up. The kingship of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, was all about the final destruction of the enemies of God and the gathering of his people. We're still in the midst of that. The last enemy to be destroyed, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, is death. So he's destroying his enemy. He will reign. Remember Peter's sermon at quoting Psalm 110? He will reign until... What? You can't go to heaven if you don't know this. So you, better, you better think hard. You know, because you get to the gate, he's going he's gonna to say, he reigns until... <laughs> All enemies are put under his feet. Which means... He's reigning right now. 
and he reigns until they're all destroyed. That's what the kingdom of Christ is about because God's kingdom had been ravaged by the nations and by the idols and by all of the stuff and by all the enemies and by Satan and Christ comes, dies, raises from the dead, crushes the power of Satan and now is in the process of cleaning his house out, so to speak. He's bound the strong man and he is taking care of business and he's still reigning today doing that very thing. We are a part of that. We help this and are working with God in that, as Isaiah says, and Paul quotes in 2 Corinthians 6, we're working with God in that by teaching the gospel message, getting the message out, sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our friends, just as they did in the first century. And that is gradually, step by step, crushing Satan, crushing his power. We cannot be destroyed. Satan has no power over us as we stand with Christ and reign then with him. This is the picture that's being given here. All right, so is the kingdom of God, Jesus says, not by, by, not by observation. You're not going to say, oh, it's between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans and Canada and Mexico or something like that. You're going to divide, uh, you're not going to divide it up in borders. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The king is now starting his kingdom. He's in your midst. His movement is among you. It's already happening. That's, that's basically the idea. And so you're sharing this with somebody who's not a Christian. You want to get them understanding the bigger reality of, uh, than I'm just living in this world and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I go to church and one day I go to heaven. Uh, those are terrible, simplistic <laughs> ideas of what it means to serve God. Uh, we are part of this great uh, uh, discipleship, the, the disciples of the king. We are multiplying the kingdom. We are, we are using his power, and he is working through us to make that, uh, that accomplishment. And we need to be a part of that bigger reality and thinking that way. So that's, that's a, it's, a, it's a critical text. Now, more in the short run, here's where Jesus is going to get their attention. All right, so let's look at this uh, beginning in verse 22. <clears throat> you know, I want you to you take a look at some of the words. I'm going to slow down in some of these phrases as I read this. I want you to think about some of the words here and make sure you can figure out when Jesus is talking. What's he talking about? When is this all going to happen? And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see, here's a key phrase, one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will man be in his day. There's another key phrase. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. There's that phrase again, days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But in the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There's the phrase again. Isn't that interesting? He's, he's now used that again. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, there it is again. Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's a that's that's quite a quite a text, isn't it? A lot a lot in there. You you're, you're going all over the place. You're obviously recognizing this is some kind of judgment that is taking place here, and the warnings of this judgment. I can tell you that Luke is going to become far more detailed about this when you get to chapter 21. But for uh, for right now. Jesus is just answering this question about kingdom, and he's connecting this event, these events here, the days of the Son of Man, with that. All right, here's what would be the, I've mentioned this is obviously judgment. What would be the alternatives of what judgment could be referred to here? What could be some of the options? Okay, one option would just be the end of time, final day of the Lord, the final judgment of all the world. You, you could certainly uh, fit that, that in. That would be one judgment that the scriptures often talk about. Okay, what would be another judgment that would be possible here? Yeah, destruction of Jerusalem. Okay, now, what in the context, can you figure out uh, I can't think of any other judgments that might be, but in the context, couldn't you figure out which one it might be? What in the context, and I mean, show me something specific in the context that would give you the idea it must be this judgment and not that judgment. Okay, it, it's, it, this is, again, not a judgment that's way down the road then, isn't it? All right, so there's that. Can you think of some other phrases that would indicate this is a more immediate judgment? He's, he's telling them what to, what to think here in, uh, in verse 23. They will say to you, look there. But don't, but don't go over there. Look here. Don't go here. When you also see this in Matthew and Mark, he keeps saying, "This will, this will not happen in this generation. This generation will see these things come to pass." 
All right. There's there's some uh, specificness as far as this the present generation of that time. All right. Any other phrases in here? Good. Look at the instructions that he gives them. Like verse thirty one and following. What kind of judgment does that sound like? Not so much the timing, but the type of judgment. There's something they're going to have to do after. So it doesn't sound as finite as the final coming of the Lord. You know, where... where what, what good would it be in the, in the final judgment? Uh, by the way, don't, uh, don't go down and get some stuff out of your house. The Lord just appeared, so don't bother picking that up because you... What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and that, that kind of thing of, of going down your house and all that. And, and remembers Lot, Lot's wife. Don't, don't, don't go back. Don't look back. Don't turn back. None of that makes any sense in a final, the, the pictures that we have of the final judgment where the Lord appears. So this is a judgment that would fit more the judgment upon Jerusalem. This is something in the minds, obviously, the Pharisees, the Jews, they would know this. They would know the predictions of these things. Um, anybody know uh, which passage in Daniel would give us the, a real specific warning about the destruction of Jerusalem and the fall of it? Matthew refers to it as the abomination of desolation. <laughs> yeah, Daniel 9. Exactly. So you go back to Daniel 9. Everybody go take a look at that. Daniel chapter 9. <clears throat> These are the kinds of, of statements, and we'll, we'll see this, uh, if you were reading Matthew's account, you would see this in Matthew 24. Uh, but at Daniel 9 and verse 24, even though this is somewhat of a difficult text, it's not hard to get the main idea. Uh, Daniel 9.24, Daniel writing, of course, uh, back about 600 years before Christ. Seventy years are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end of sin, and to atone for iniquity. There would be obviously the coming of Christ to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, so obviously talking about the Messiah, there will be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it will be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, so he's referring to, here's the, here's the a, a prince who's going to come and destroy Jerusalem. That prince is going to be Rome. 
Then, uh, uh, and let's see, uh, destroy the city and sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And it, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for a half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. <laughs> all right. I, I, again, don't pay attention to the weeks and all those things. We could talk about that some of the time we're studying Daniel. But what do you see? You see God appointing a priest who's going, a, a prince who's going to come in. He's an abomination. His country is an abomination. And he's going to make the nation desolate. He's going to destroy it. Sacrifice and offering is going to come to an end. Why will sacrifice and offering come to an end? When Jerusalem falls. Yeah, there's no temple. And it has come to an end to this day. <laughs> there is never again sacrifice and offering that took place after 70 AD. Anyway, that's what's in the minds of these Jews. They know this prophecy. They probably didn't understand. At least the Pharisees would probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have understood some of those things. We know one Jewish community that understood it quite well. They produced the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Essene community, because they wrote about it in their commentaries uh, that we have today. That's really interesting to know. There certainly were those. The, the apostles knew this. When Jesus stands on the mount and looks over uh, outside Jerusalem and looks over and, and, and the, the apostles say, look at the beautiful buildings this is. And the answer by Jesus was, not one stone will be left on top of another. It should not be thrown down. And they ask, Matthew 24, when will it be? And what will be the sign of your coming to do that? Ah, bam, they had it right away. They knew it, and they knew it because of the passage in Daniel. Daniel 12 is another good one on that, but we won't bother with that. I'm just trying to get you to make the mental connection that you see between these two. Okay, questions so far? How are we doing? Yeah, Rob. How do you explain verse 34 and 35 when you're trying to explain how this is not the end of yeah, okay, good. Yeah, two are one bed, and, uh, and, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Uh, every time I read that, I was always reminded my, uh, when I was uh, uh, very, very young, a baby, uh, my, uh, we had an earthquake in, uh, in Orange County, California, and uh, my mom had jumped up and ran into the other room to, uh, to get me, and my dad slept very deeply, and he finally woke up, and uh, everything's quaking, and he looked over and mom was gone. He went two in one bed, one taken, one left. I'm left. <laughs> Waking up out of that, that dead sleep. I just That story always comes to mind when I read that. <laughs> he thought, oh, phooey. <laughs> uh, at any rate. Uh, so, the, yeah, the idea, when Rome comes in and attacks Jerusalem and stuff, People are taken prisoner, some are taken, some are left, some escape, some don't. Uh, it's, it's just really basically as simple as that. In Matthew's account, and later in Luke's account, he's going to talk about those are out in the field, and, uh, and the same thing's going to happen. Some are arrested, but Jesus, of course, is, uh, is, is warning here in this place. He's warning 
like when he says, don't go down the, out of the, uh, from your housetop and get the goods out of your house and take them away. In the, the one in the field, don't turn back. More details of that in Matthew's account. But again, this happens so quickly. When they see, again, Luke 20 will say this, when they see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, run. If you're on your housetop leisurely, you know, to getting a suntan uh, or eating lunch or whatever, don't go down in your house. You look out and you go, oh, here come the Roman armies. You need to get outside. You need, your, the house would be built on the edge of the wall. You need to, to get a rope down. You need to do something. Don't go back down the house. The Jews will lock the city up. You can't get out the gates. Because when they see it, that's going to be the end. So get out. Don't go down. Go, if you're in the field, the tendency of me to want to go back and get your wife or your family or whatever. Don't do it. They should know they need to leave too. You're going to have to be really independent at this moment. That's what Jesus is saying. You've got to get out. It's going to happen that quickly. Yeah, uh, Scott. Two things. So, just from a big picture perspective, I think it helps to see the contrast between what Jesus just said and what he's saying now. So, that when's the kingdom coming? Well, the kingdom is already... Uh, here and it's not coming in ways that you can all that you can visibly see. And then he turns around and he says, "Now you're going to desire to see one of these days. You're just not going to miss it when it does come." From a high-level perspective, I think Jesus is talking about uh, trying to insist to them that they need more open eyes right now to see how the kingdom has already come. But that's not going to be enough. They're going to long for more. They're going to long to see a day that, that just really proves that Jesus is on his throne. And I think whether you're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or the final judgment, the second thing then is I think we can put ourselves in that situation. I think when we're teaching other people, I think maybe it helps if, if you think that this is Jerusalem. Definitely highlight that. But then I think if we're teaching others, one thing that helps is every judgment is a down payment on that final day. And we can apply, I think, every single one of these things yeah. to the final day and say, uh, listen, we don't want to be the kind of people who, when, when the judgment comes, you know, we're trying to run and grab something. And, uh, and, and we still today are longing to see, you know, we're, we're in a similar position. You know, we're longing to see a visible sign that Jesus is really on his throne. And, well, we're going to get it one day. Yeah. Uh, and I think to try to draw any judgment anytime we're in sure. scripture. There's always some principles, right, in every single judgment that we can, that we can uh, warn about. Just like, remember Lot's wife, uh, don't turn back longing for the home that you're losing. We need to remember Lot's wife right now. Don't, don't look, be looking back, looking forward uh, to what's going to happen. By the way, now Scott brings something up here that's real important. 70 AD, as far as, you know, we always think of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the, as the, as the transition point into the kingdom. True, that's when the king goes back to heaven, sits on the throne, and reigns. But Scott mentions this visible thing, and that's what's taking place here. He's saying, and it's not going to come like that, but here's what you're going to see. You're going to have, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, uh, go through some trouble. I'm going to be killed, etc., etc. It's like that. That's going to be happened. But then after that, then there's going to be, that's when you're going to be longing to see me. I'm going to be gone. 
you're going to long deceive of the day. The day of the Son of Man, the day when the Son of Man is revealed, as he says in verse 30, the days of the Son of Man, back in verse 22, um, Though, those pictures that we saw over and over again, uh, those are the day in which the kingship of Jesus is really revealed from a Jewish perspective. When's it revealed? When Jerusalem falls. God fulfills his promise to destroy that nation, and now his kingship is made apparent. When you're reading Matthew 24, all of Matthew 24 will talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. And the sermon goes 24 and 25. So you go all the way through 24, destruction of Jerusalem. At the end of his discussion of destruction of Jerusalem, chapter 25 begins with the words, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like... Now he's transitioning after that. And he gives two parables about preparing yourself for the next judgment for when, when he returns and judges the world. So that little transition there, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, is a critical turning point in the book of Daniel, prophetically. That's the big turning point when the Jewish age is gone, and now we have the bringing in of the Gentiles and the uh, fulfillment of the, passage, the, the prophecies about the kingdom. Yes, sir? of the, the miracle that Jesus just performed because then there are these ten men yeah. nine of them go and they're, they're Jews apparently right. they're, they're going off and they're granted they're doing what Jesus said go show yourself to the priest but a Samaritan is the one that realizes what's happened goes yeah. back to Jesus and praises him and so I love that connection of this is what discipleship looks like yeah. this is what the kingdom looks like and it's not what you expect and then there's this Samaritan coming and bowing before Jesus and seeing all of that context back to back to back. Is beautiful. Masterful yeah, beautiful. And, and, and uh, with the, the, the whole story of the lepers, you, 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 you're getting that picture of Jewish rejection, not really appreciating, but one man, a Samaritan, goes and appreciates who's the king. Who's he bowing before? He's obviously indicating I'm recognizing the king in my presence and he praises God. Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So you, you see those, those beautiful flows there through that. Uh, good. Now look at verse 37. And, uh, and they say, well, whoa, where, 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 Lord? You know, in other words, what is this? And, and he says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. <laughs> we, in our neighborhood, we had a vulture party here the other day, just before the cold snap hit. Drove by, and there were probably 30 of them gathered around. I don't know what they were eating, but uh, they were having a wonderful party. And uh, that's what he's saying here. Vultures are going to gather around the corpse. What's the corpse? Who are the vultures? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. This is Jerusalem, the nation, this is Israel, and the vultures are Rome, and they're picking it out. They're just picking it apart. They're taking it out. The translation, I got to say, eagles. What eagle? Uh, yeah, it depends on the translation. What, what yeah, same. Yeah, same way, you know. Eagles would do the same thing. <laughs> All right. 
Anyway, there, there is that picture uh, from uh, the uh, Jerusalem begins to be attacked by, uh, by Rome around 67, 68 AD. Uh, they will have an intermittent thing. Nero will die uh, in 68. Everything will stop for a second. They'll go back. Then they'll come again. And by 70, it falls. And by 72, Israel, all the, all the uh, fortified cities of Israel have fallen, Masada being the last in 72. And now there's no nation at all. Uh, they are gone. And they will never, they never never exist again. You say, well, there's an Israel today. It doesn't matter. That Israel never exists again. Just like there's been cities that have been destroyed, like Tyre was destroyed, and God said it'll never be rebuilt. Well, there's a Tyre today, but the Tyre of that day was never rebuilt. In fact, the site of the old Tyre is still desolate. Jerusalem today is still desolate. It has no God. God is not in its midst in the sense of the temple because there's no temple. The whole picture of God's Israel is gone. Now God has a new Israel and he's invited Jew and Gentile into his kingdom. And they could be the true Israelite if they desire. Some do, most don't. Just like the lepers. <laughs> exactly. Questions? On anything else on this section? Notice when the Son of Man is being revealed, verse 30, he's being revealed. There's the idea of that now, from a Jewish perspective and knowing the prophecies, now they get it. Now they can understand that. Yeah, Mike. Verse 33, okay. Uh, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake uh, or loses his life will keep it. So again, in the context here, because Jesus uses those same words in Matthew 16 and, uh, and some other passages even in Luke, he uses those same kind of words about in a more broad sense, if I lose my life for Christ, I'm going to save it. If I try to save it by trying to get everything I can in this life and get all the pleasure in this life that I'm going to lose it. A similar thing here, but I think more detailed. Uh, if you're going to, when you see Jerusalem, this is again more explained in chapter 21. We'll have more discussion about it then. But, it, but if you're on the housetop and you see the Roman armies coming, make a decision. You're going to save your life by going down in the house and getting all your stuff and all this like we would if we saw a fire break out in our house and, and we're like, oh, grab the computer. <laughs> Where's the kid? Well, I, get, grab the computer. <laughs> oh, without the kid. Uh, kidding. So, so you, you, you're not grabbing those things, are you? You're grabbing what? You're grabbing life. You're grabbing your children. You've got to get out. And you're going to lose everything else in your physical life. You're going to let that go. You're going to let that be burned up. You're going to save yourself. Tornado's coming. You're getting in wherever your shelter is. You're letting go everything else. On the other hand, you're going to lose your life if you go in and try to save all the things that you have. I think that's the more the detailed context here. Though the broader context in other passages would talk about life in general. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think the best interpretation of this is that these are opposite, keeps his life will lose it, lose his life will preserve it, but what if this is also a, a progression? He who seeks to keep his life must lose it, and then once you have lost your life, then it, it will be preserved in in Christ. What, what do you think about that as an alternative way? Never thought about it that way. Uh, yeah, I just always thought in terms of 
you got to make a choice. You know, either save it or lose it. And saving it means I'm concerned about now. Losing it means I'm concerned about life, in e life now and in eternity. You know, one of the interesting things is, and I think I mentioned this, talked about this a little bit last week, a couple of weeks ago. One of the interesting things is when Jesus says this same thing in Matthew 16 and uh, about verse 27, uh, he, he says, whoever tries to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You're not just finding it in eternity, you're finding it now. Goodness, what a wonder it is that as a Christian, we found our life. And when we weren't, we had lost our life. What were we doing then? Waking up every day and just figuring out, what do I want to do today? What do I have to do today? We'd lost our life. We'd lost anything that was life and direction. It's so wonderful to wake up and go, I know what my life is. There's no question about it. I know where I'm going, what I'm living, what my goal is, what I know it. It's just the most secure, wonderful thing that you can ever imagine. I do think it's interesting, though, on that comment, I do think it's interesting that he's offering um, a, a, a part of the kingdom to mankind. Um, the, the saints um, are in the kingdom, will have the kingdom. Um, that there's a place for mankind in this kingdom sure. that's coming. That absolutely. It's absolutely going to be very destructive and Make a choice. be very noticeable. Um, so it, uh, as grand as it may be, as scary as it might be, there's a, there seems to be this tone of, you can be in it. That's right. You can Good. be one side or the other Good. of it. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up, and this, this fits better, I can see. Uh, like, remember, right before he says it, remember Lot's wife. Now we have a little insight into Lot's wife, don't we? You know, when I, when I was growing up and, uh, and reading the story of Lot's wife, I, I'm thinking, you know, God says, okay, you know, as a kid, what do you think about? Well, don't turn around and look. All right, that, that's what you think. You don't, don't turn around, take, don't take a peek now, don't take a peek. And, uh, and, I, and I'm thinking, wow, it'd be really hard to be walking out of the city and you're, you're hearing, boom! <laughs> you're hearing the city go up in smoke and you're just firing brimstone and you're going, what was the, you, 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 no, don't, don't look! <laughs> now we're seeing a little more clearly what Lot's wife was doing, isn't it? She's longing for what she's leaving. And, uh, you know, it, it is, I shouldn't say this, because women will be mad at me, but most of you ladies, you, you get very, very attached to where you are. You're good at that. You, get, you have relationships. You have, a lot of us men, we're just like, eh, next thing, let's go on. <laughs> Scott's going, no way. Well, Scott has, Scott has more of a feminine side than I do, so that's just the way it is. <laughs> or he's just wise enough not to say something stupid like I just said. That's right. <laughs> I just found that in my life. Of course, again, yeah, uh, I'm a dirt clod, and uh, I just like, oh, next, next phase. <laughs> Let's go on. Forget the last. But and I'm not, that's not a knock on a woman. She's, she's got these deep relationships, deep roots, and she doesn't want to leave that. And I'm like, but Lot's wife took the next step. 
She's in love with this world. She's in love with Sodom. She's in love with what that, and she's not turning back just because of curiosity. She's turning back because she loves that. There are too many really good illustrations of that, though. I mean, Abraham, certainly, um, even beyond that, the Israelite people, after they come out of Egypt, that, that entire generation gets wiped out because what are they longing for? The leeks and the garlic back in the yeah. instead of what good. God was giving them. So the point is, they didn't trust God and his plan yeah. and where he was taking them. And neither did Lot's wife. Oh man, yeah, and and that's good. When we when you back it up, just out of you know leaving a house, uh, it's a, it's a much bigger picture, isn't it? Uh, because the biggest struggle all of us have against idolatry is if I give this up that God's asking me to give up. If I give this up. Is he going to replace that? Is he going to take care of that? I, I'm going to really miss that. I miss the leeks and the onions and the garlics and the going fishing in the Nile River. And I, I miss that. Uh, is God going to still take care of me? And there are things in our lives, whether it be desires, evil or not evil, lust, things like this, if I give that up for his sake, is he going to still fill me? Is he going to fill the empties? Because that little thing over here that, I, that I've got tucked away in my life has been a, a, a security blanket for me. And I, I, giving that up is a little scary. I don't know whether he's going to really take that. That's what idolatry is. That's what idolatry was for Israel. Israel didn't tend to just go, forget Yahweh and I'm going to worship Baal. No, we'll, we'll keep Yahweh over here for his, he, he's got a purpose. He's got a little purpose in my life, but I need Baal over here because I don't trust Yahweh to provide for my cattle and my crops and all this. So I need Baal over here to provide for that. And I have this God over here that will provide for something else in my life. That's why the Athenians had all those different gods in Athens. There's all these different things as gods of love and hate and there's on and on. Well, I've got Yahweh over here. I like to have Yahweh when I need what, Yah what I want from Yahweh. See that idea? That's what we can do really easily. Well, I like to have Yahweh in my life. But I've got some other gods that I don't want to give those up. Because I don't know if Yahweh will take care of that part of it. That's the essence of idolatry. Very, very challenging. And we, it takes a lifetime to start recognizing sometimes your idols. Your little gods that you don't want to give up. Israel did that all the way through the wilderness. They come into the land of Canaan. And Joshua gives his final speech, remember? And they say, yes, we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua's next word were, I don't think so. You're going to have to give up your idols. You're going, what? They've been 40 years in the wilderness. They still got the idols? Uh-huh. Yahweh's wonderful. We like to see his fire in the night and, the, and his cloud in the day. When we get in our tent by ourselves, we pull out our little idols. Yeah, our little idols are really important. Uh, what was that movie, you know? My Precious. <laughs> yeah, Lord of the Rings, My Precious. <laughs> That's a great great analogy. It's good, good. 
All right, uh, we, we are taking, beginning the first of the year, which, uh, which is next Sunday, uh, we are taking a, a break from the end of Luke, and we're going to set up the end of Luke all by itself in a, in a new uh, study. Uh, and I, sometime next year, we're not, we haven't settled which one, but uh, uh, elders have asked us to transition here, so we're going to transition for a, the, the first quarter of the year. Uh, in this class, uh, we'll be studying the discourses of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9. Really important study. Uh, and uh, on Wednesday nights, I will be teaching in here on how to enjoy your Bible, how to learn the Bible, good Bible study tactics and, uh, and efforts in order to learn the Bible better. So we do that on Wednesday nights and uh, uh, Wednesday night in the young adult, uh, they'll yeah, anyway, uh, I'm getting, we get all confused. Every time I sit down with Chip and the guys, I go, okay, let's start over. <laughs> I had to write it all down. <laughs> anyway, that's what you look forward to next week. Thank you. You guys have been great.